This morning's scripture reading comes from Psalm 42. To the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Uh, before we go into the preaching of the word this morning, I uh, just want to welcome a guest who's joining us. Chedin Lee, uh, she's a recent Mason grad joining us today. Uh, if I could just point you out once again, thank you for raising your hand. Uh, she's back there to my right, to your left. Let's welcome her together. Thanks for joining us today. And for anyone else who may be joining us for the first time, uh, please, I invite you to uh, fill out a connection card so that we can keep you up to date and even give you the opportunity to sign up for some of the seminars that are going and also just opportunity for you to connect with us so that we can get to know you and, and worship together. Well, uh, this morning I have the, the joy and the privilege to share with you the Word of God from Psalm 42. If you have known me these past 10 years, you know that I love the Psalms. And what I love about the Psalms is that the, it, it, it helps the believers with words to express whatever we may be going through. Whatever situation, circumstance that you're going through, you can find those words in the Psalms. There are 150 of them after all. But at the same time, giving us the words to express what we're going through... The Psalms speak and preaches to us about who it is that we should look to in times of our need, our hardships, and even in our joys, that we should look to God in all of our circumstances. Uh, in Psalm 42, the psalmist, or perhaps multiple psalmists, because they're here they're known as the sons of Korah, uh, it's, it's somewhat important to know these individuals. The sons of Korah were temple musicians. Few of the people in the, in the Korite tribe they were commissioned by the King David to basically play and sing songs while people come in to worship God and offer their offerings to the Lord. Few of them were extremely gifted singers and instrumentalists. And like many of the Psalms that we have here, we don't know the background, the reason or the occasion for this particular song. But we do know that they're in a foreign land, these psalmists who have wrote, written these words, and, and you'll usually refer to it as a Hear me refer to the psalmist as in, in a just single, you know, first person and, and third person singular. Uh, but the psalmist here, they're in a land of Jordan, of the Hermon from Mount Mazar. In other words, they're far from home. They're not in Israel. 
They're not in their home place. They're not in the temple. They're in a faraway location. And as they're traveling, presumably to Jerusalem, to the temple of God, they're seeing the streams of water. They're seeing the waterfall. They're seeing the deer. And like a painter inspired by the landscape to simply see what he sees, to stop and paint what he sees, the psalmist, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing this song with the very elements that he's seeing around him. Psalm 42 is also most likely connected with Psalm 43. Um, they, they do share the same refrain, the, the, the chorus of the song. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We see it twice in Psalm 42 and we see it once in Psalm 43. So a lot of the scholars believe that these two psalms are really just one psalm as an ancient rabbinic commentary of the Hebrew texts have, have placed. But in our English Bibles, that's often translated from the Masoretic Hebrew text, we have it as two different psalms. But because there, there are such connection, I will make reference to Psalm 43, uh, though we're going to spend most of our time in Psalm 42. So join with me in prayer that the Lord may bless our sermon this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for once again calling us and bringing us to this place that we may know you and by your grace receive eyes of faith to behold our risen King. May Jesus, and regardless of the situation or circumstance that we may be in, that Jesus may be our hope and the reason to rejoice. So Father, this morning, whatever situation, burden that our members may bring, that you would fix our eyes upon our Savior, our Lord, so that we can rejoice together today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. My, uh, my three-year-old daughter, <clears throat> she's at this point where she determines someone or something to be her friend only when she is able to play with them. So any child in a playground, she would call and label that child a friend. We, we take her to a playground, and she would not even interact with some of these children, but simply because the potential to interact is there, she would say, oh, those are my friends. Or after we play together, without her even in interacting with the other children, I ask her, did you have fun? It's like, yeah, I had fun with friends. It's like, did you? <laughs> did you interact them with it at all? But any child on the playground is labeled a friend if there's the potential to play with them. And uh, she also considers her stuffed animals her friends, again, because she can play with them. Um, my daughter, Thea, she's also very nurturing. She has a very nurturing personality where she often pretends to care for these stuffed animals. She would cradle them like babies, or she would hold them gently, whereas if it was my son, he would just take it and chuck it as far as he can. Right? There's a clear difference between my boy and my girl. But, but my daughter, she, she cares for these stuffed animals. And she has this small teddy bear whom she named, get this, Bear Bear. She took what it is, it's a bear, call it twice, and that's its name. It's like someone giving birth to a boy and naming him Man Man, right? It's, and and that's, that's what she does. That's how her mind thinks sometimes. And as she's holding her bear bear, I heard her one time saying, it's okay, it's okay, aw, it's okay. <laughs> okay, Thea, what are you doing? And she said, bear bear is sad. To which I reply, okay, why is he sad? And this was her response. So he can be happy. 
the teddy bear is sad so that he can be happy. Now, I didn't think such wisdom could come out of a three-year-old, but it was amazing that she had this understanding of life in this world, that it's always fluctuating, that we're going to experience seasons of ups and downs, much like the roller coasters that we may ride on, that when we are in seasons of great joy, sorrow will eventually come. And when we're in season of great sorrow, joy will eventually follow. Or she's a three-year-old who has no idea what she's saying, and she, due to the lack of vocabulary in, in, her, in her mind, she actually just said whatever comes out of her mouth with different intention with those words. No idea. Maybe that's just how three-year-olds think, or maybe it was really divine wisdom from God that this father needed to hear and learn from. Regardless of what she meant, it's true. In this sin-filled sin world, sorrow will always follow seasons of joy. That when we're experiencing great highs and joys in life, surely somewhere around the corner of your life, you're going to experience sorrow. But for those who are in the Lord, there is a certainty that joy will also follow seasons of sorrow. Or rather, maybe the more accurate way of thinking it for in, in the Christian perspective is Joy can be found even when we are in seasons of sorrow. Somehow in weeping and mourning, at this very same time, we can experience joy as well. That it's not just one after the other, but both and at the same time, where we can rejoice despite the pain, despite the difficulties that we may experience in life. It's like what the Apostle Paul said, in how he sees himself in the experience of salvation of God, where he says, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. He says, I commend those who follow this message, but because of the salvation, we are as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. There is a lot to weep and lament in this world, and yet there's always, as Christians, a reason to rejoice. So joy doesn't always come after sorrow, Sometimes joy is experienced even in the midst of sorrow. So as Christians, we do live in a place where the world, the devil, and the flesh will disappoint us and will even at times taunt us. But despite their disappointment and taunting, as Christians, we are able to sing and rejoice. And we'll see how we're able to do that. How is it that we Christians, despite the disappointments and the taunts of this world, the devil and even our flesh, can we sing and rejoice? We're going to be looking at uh, how to do that by looking at the, the things which we can remember found in this psalm. So there are three things I'm going to share with you. Number one, we need to remember the joys in worship. Number two, we need to remember the work that God has done. And number three, we need to remember what God is doing. So remember the joys in worship. Remember what God has done, and remember what God is doing. Let's look at these three things. First, we need to remember the joys in worship. The psalmist, as he's writing these words, it may be in, in meditation or it may be in current actual experience, but the psalmist is experiencing many taunts from his enemies. He's, and, 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 and in response to these taunts, he's constantly bringing to his mind the experience that he had when he worshipped God in the temple. But listen to the depth of his sorrow. As he, just from one line, we can even feel just the, 
the deep sorrow that the psalmist experienced in, in verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. My tears have been my food day and night. His sorrow is so great that the psalmist couldn't even eat. He had no appetite. Tears are constantly flowing from his eyes down his cheek and even onto his lips. And as a result of his sorrows, as the enemies of faith watch him cry, taunt him saying, where is your God? You cry and you cry with great sorrow, but where's the one that you claim to be your help? Where is the one who you claim will show up and rescue you? Where is your God? And through the psalm, we can even sense that, that the psalmist may start believing some of these taunts. He says to God in verse 9, Why have you forgotten about me? Why do I keep mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? These words which they speak to me hurt me so deeply that it impacts my, my, my bones. But listen to what happens for this psalmist. This psalmist, his sorrows and his taunts do not crush him. But the sorrows that he's experiencing and the taunts of this world are creating a greater longing to worship. The sorrows that he's experiencing and enduring and the taunts that he's receiving are creating a greater longing to worship. Like a deer panting from a deep thirst. His sorrows making him long to be in a place where he can worship again. He recalls how when he was home, he led multitude of people with songs and praise as they marched and entered together to the temple so that they can worship God together. Offering up offerings to the Lord, singing songs together. There, he remembers how there was so much gladness how people shout, shouted with joy as they gathered together singing songs to God, remembering who it is that they worship. Now, brothers and sisters, this morning, what troubles you today? What are the things that are keeping you up at night and taking away your rest? What are you hearing from your experiences that may actually be tempting you to believe God is nowhere to be found? If you are filled with much sorrow from disappointments or even taunts or whatever may be causing your pain, I want to encourage you and call you this morning to remember the joys that you have experienced in worship. Recall to, to the time when you came to a place of worship and you were filled with so much singing and gladness. Recall to the time when you gathered together and you shared joyful experiences with the people next to you, lifting up your voices together to the Lord. I was extremely moved this morning when the praise team just stopped playing and we all sang together as a church, moved by that to see how we can joyfully share that moment together of singing and lifting our voices to God. Do you have times in your life where you can recall the joys you, you experienced when you came to worship? There is a moment that I constantly recall to my mind whenever I needed a refresher who God is and what he has done for me. Some of you may have heard me share this before, so I apologize if you've heard me say this multiple times, but I do share it multiple times because it, it, it is a, a mark in my life that I, I do refer back to and look to and be reminded once again of who it is that I worship. It was, a, it was my sophomore year in college when so many things were going wrong. The church that I love was experiencing a split within the English ministry 
because the pastor at the time had a fallout with the elders, uh, and, and he was asked to leave by the elders. The leaders of the church eventually stopped showing up, and then all of the lay people who had no responsibilities in the past had to just jump in and do things that they were never trained to do. It was a very difficult time in the church, and we wonder if this ministry was going to exist. At the same time, my younger brother and I were experiencing many tense moments. Oftentimes, our conversations leading to shouting with anger. And it was to the point where I was afraid of even myself, of what I might do if I saw him face to face. And things were not going well with the girl that I liked. Now, some of you know how deeply troubling that is to a young man, <laughs> to have relational issue with a girl. And so, through all these difficulties, I shared him to the man who was discipling me in college, and he simply suggested that I take about half a day, go to a remote place, and just worship God. Just go and spend time with God. Talk to him, read the word, you know, speak to him. I wasn't happy with that suggestion. Right? It's like one of those like people who are angry and then it's like, oh, you pray. <laughs> How dare you? I wasn't happy because in that moment, I, I was thinking, God is the reason why this is happening. If there's one person that I want to talk to, he's not it. I'm afraid if I ever go to him, who knows how, what else he's going to ruin in my life. And the very important things in my life already felt ruined because I trusted in him. He was supposed to be the one in control of everything, and yet everything that I held dear was falling apart. He was the last person that I wanted to talk to. But at that point in my life, where could I go? I feel like I've exhausted all my resources. I've spoken to my disciple who had been a source of comfort to me, and again, his solution was, go to God. Thanks. I couldn't go to church where I usually found solace and peace because it was a place of wreckage. I couldn't go home in my room for the fear that my brother was there and afraid that what I might do to him. And so God ended up being my last resort, thinking, well, what else can I do? So I took my Bible, my guitar, went to a semi-secluded place in the Burke Lake Park, sat down on the picnic table by the lake, and I just began to sing playing music and, and praise songs that I, I knew by memory, just playing random chords and, and saying the words that, I, that came to my mind. And then I started to read the Bible. And friends, in that moment where I felt so bitter and angry, when I felt so lost and at the end of my ropes, when I felt like I had nowhere else to go and I was tempted to believe that God was nowhere to be found, that was a place where I started to really feel like God was there. I read passage after passage from one book to another. And for the first time in my Christian life, I really felt like God was speaking to me directly through these texts. Now, nowadays, I don't really journal. Um, but whenever I got a new notebook to journal, the first thing that I would write, my first entry in, in my new notebook would be what happened that day, my sophomore year in college. Because I know I'm prone to forget. And I need to keep in mind what God has done for me when I even didn't want to have anything to do with him. 
So I write in every single notebook, my first entry is that very moment when I hated God, my discipler told me to go to God, I was at my last wit's end, and I just spoke to him, and God spoke to me. And I needed to write that over and over again to, so that I can know for certain that my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so what God was able to do for a, sophomore, uh, for a man who was a sophomore year in college, he can do it again for a 38-year-old if I ever go through that same problem of doubting God's love and unsure whether he's really there for me or not. What he was able to do then, he can do again now. So every time I would doubt his love or feel like God is absent in my troubles, I just recall to the times of how he was so merciful to me and gracious to me, even when I deserved so much worse than what I was receiving. And now, that moment is a time when I bring to my mind that creates a longing to worship him. I'm not recalling the times and missing it as if, oh wait, if I could only worship God like that again, if I could only experience that feeling again. No, I don't go back to that time to go through another spiritual high. I go through that time so that I can be reassured once more who it is I worship, regardless of how I feel, that the one who rescued me then is still able to rescue me now. The one who was gracious and merciful to me then when I was filled with bitterness still tenderly loves me as my Father in heaven, regardless of how I feel nor my experiences. I pray, dear friends, and I pray for you, that you too can have moments of great joy where you can bring to remembrance when you are filled with disappointments and sorrow. And if you have not kept track, or if you don't have a record of those joyful moments in worship, May I encourage you and challenge you to start writing some of these moments now so that you can bring to remembrance and hope in God once again. So how can we sing and rejoice when the world disappoints or taunts? We remember the joys in worship, but we also remember what God has done, which brings us to the second point. To, of course, remember the joys in worship is in a way to remember what God has done for us in the past. But on this second point, I want to emphasize not necessarily what God has done for you personally in the past, but what God has done for us in history. Much of the Old Testament saints' hope anchored on God's rescue of his people from Egypt. Later generations who have never experienced the Exodus still looked back to what God has done for their ancestors in hopes of what God is going to do for them today. So a lot of the Old Testament saints you will find refers back to what God did in Egypt even though this generation that the Old Testament texts are writing on are 100 years later than the Exodus, or even hundreds of years later than the Exodus. And yet they still anchor back to what God has done then, trusting that he is able to do that now. And for us Christians, our hope is anchored on God's rescue of his people, not from a, a powerful nation like Egypt, but from sin and death through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, even though you and I have never seen Jesus die on the cross and rise again from the grave, we anchor our hope on that past event of human history. God doesn't need to perform those miraculous signs today because he did that in the past to prove who he is. We don't need him to turn water into wine. We don't need him to raise another person from the dead because he has already done those things to prove to us who he is. He rose again from the dead to prove to us who he is. 
We don't need another revolutionary war to prove that the revolutionary war happened in the 18th century. We trust in what happened in human history to make an effect of where we are now. And so even though you and I have never seen Jesus face to face, we've never seen him die on the cross or rise again from the dead, we anchor our hope on that event which happened in human history. The psalmist, as he is away from home, he sees the rushing waves, the waterfall that's crashing and the roaring sound that it makes. He sees the water uh, crashing against some of the stones that are on the ground. He says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. And as he's, visual, he's seeing what's happening in nature, he's using this as an illustration of his current affair, his current situation. He says in verse 7, all your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. As he sees the violence of the waters, he's saying, my life is like those rocks that are being constantly bombarded and being crashed by the waves. My life may be in danger. That these taunts from the enemies may not merely be taunt, but they also could be threats against me. And perhaps the psalmist is experiencing sorrow so deep that he feels as he sees nature around him that his life is fading away right before his eyes as the water is being crushed and blown away by the waves. And yet, despite the agony and the pain, how is it that the psalmist is enduring? He remembers that God loves him and that God has given him a song to sing. He says God commands his steadfast love. This is to say that God is making sure that love will not depart from this man because God is in control of all things and all things happen by his command. And so God commands his steadfast love with certainty that his love will not depart from me. Because the only person who can take this love away is God, and yet he's commanding the steadfast love to rest upon him. And God gave him a song to sing. Love and a song. It's what's keeping this man enduring, despite the pain, despite feeling like a rock that's being beat constantly over and over by the waves. Love and a song. I remember reading a story of Christians in North Korea in the 1950s. A pastor and a congregation of 27 Christians were living, not just simply worshiping, but they were living in a hand-dug tunnel. And they were eventually found because the communist regime were, were paving roads, and one of these efforts made a hole in the ground, and they were discovered. So then these 28 Christians were brought to a crowd of 30,000 people for a public trial and execution. They, do, they told these people, deny Christ or you're going to die. And yet not one of them denied. And I'm sorry that I have to share this detail, which I'm about to share. But four of them being children were hung in front of their parents and the adults were tied up, laid on the ground to be rolled over with the steamroller. But as the steamroller began to inch forward from one Christian to another, this church began to sing a song that they have often sung together. More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Thee alone I seek, more love to thee. Let sorrow do its work, more love to thee. Then shall my latest breath whisper thy praise. This be the parting cry my heart shall raise. More love, O Christ, to thee. 
I cannot even imagine the experience of such Christians hearing the sound of their beloved neighbor singing and coming to a complete silence as they come to realize they're the next one to be executed and yet still singing together as a church the songs that they have sung in the past, more love to you, O God. Sorrows come, let them come, but more love and praise to your holy name. It's interesting that this story was actually um, written by a North Korean newspaper as an effort to suppress what they called superstition. They wrote this account so that fellow North Koreans can see, see what happens when you believe in a make-believe. See what happens when you don't follow a regime. And though they made this publication to North Koreans, I can't help but wonder how many North Koreans were actually now curious of this Jesus because of their life. Their willingness to die in Christ rather than to live in a communist regime. I wonder how many people read these newspapers and thought, how can someone believe something unless it's true? How can someone be willing to die like that and stay committed unless this is real? How can they sing praise when one by one they're being smushed to death? What love they have received to face such a death with a song. To face death face to face and sing it. Sing a song to it. Before it. And friends, I want to. My, my point here is not to emphasize the courage of these North Korean Christians, brothers and sisters, whom we will meet one day when the Lord calls us home. But this morning, I want us to see and emphasize just how great is the love of God through Jesus Christ that you and I, as believers in Jesus, can face our troubles with singing. That we can weep and we should, and yet we can still stand and sing as if it has no victory over us. You may have a hard time remembering what God has done for you in your current experience in time. It may be hard for you to recount the joys in worship, either because we have forgotten or perhaps you have not yet experienced those moments yet. But all of us who are believers in God can remember what God has done for us in Jesus Christ that some 2,000 years ago. How in order to free us from the grips of sin and death, in order to reconcile us to the holy God, that the Son of God was sacrificed on our behalf, that God so loves us deeply that he, even though he could have easily just wiped us out and created another humanity from dust, chose to send his son to die on our behalf so that we may know his love and allows us in the face of adversity and disappointments and, and pain, sing songs of praise. Friends, if you are hurting, if times have been difficult for you, weep, cry, lament, but I want to encourage you this morning to also praise. There's a reason why God commands his people to sing. Singing is not just what we do as a church. Singing is what we do because God told us to do it. And I think there's something wonderful about that. Because as we obey God, there is blessing for us. And to obey God in singing songs and worship only leads to our blessing. For there's something about singing that affects us so deeply. It moves us not only in the way we think, but it moves us in our emotions and our being, in the way that we feel and connect to people and things. This is why when it's raining, I turn on a play set of, of Celine Dion because I just want to feel something. This is why when my wife listens to Backstreet Boys, she recounts the days when she was a teenager 
as if those were like yesterday. And so, yeah, in times of your, just in your days, fill your house with these music that you like. But make sure that you also fill your homes with songs of praise to God. Not only for you, but especially for the family members here, for your children. That they're not merely listening to the Tomlins and the Hill songs and whoever it may be on on your smart speakers. But that they're actually hearing you sing as well. Fill your homes with songs and praise. You may not sound like Charlie and Grace. That's okay. Because as much as we care about how you sound when you're up here, God doesn't care how you sound when you're singing praise to him. So fill your homes with singing. Fill your homes with songs of praise, even in days when you lament, weep, and cry. For God has commanded us to sing so that ultimately, through obedience, we may be blessed. And singing has a way of moving what we have in our minds and bringing it to our hearts. So that the gospel is not, well, is not just something that we know, but the gospel is something that we can experience, something that we can feel, and something that brings us to certainty with the whole of our being. We are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And God in Christ loves you. That you are loved by him. And so in order for us to sing, in the face of disappointments and taunts, we need to remember the joys in worship. We need to also remember what God has done for us. But thirdly, we also need to remember what God is currently doing. God has shown himself to be faithful in the past. And he is also currently working today. In Psalm 43, we didn't, we didn't read it, but in Psalm 43, the psalmist lifts up a prayer in verses 3 to 4. He says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling that I may go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. While the psalmist is away from home, he is far from home, he is confident that God will lead him home to a place of safety, a place of rest, a place of peace, a place of joy and worship. And dear friends, in Christ, God is leading us home. We are currently wanderers in the place that is not our home. The Bible has been saying over and over that we Christians, we are sojourners, we're strangers, we're aliens in this place. And so it is normal, and perhaps I could say it is also right to feel out of place in this world. We should easily recognize that the world is not the way it's supposed to be because we know what the way the world is supposed to be. Yet God is leading us home and Jesus is coming back. The Lord Jesus, when his disciples were so troubled upon hearing the news that he's going away, he gave these words to comfort them. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to a place to prepare for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Our God is leading us home, and Jesus is coming back. As the resurrected Lord, the giver of life, our Lord is not finished working. The work of salvation is done. As he said on the cross, it is finished. But he is still doing the work of bringing the lost into his fold. He is still doing the work of making all things new. He is still working so that one day he will wipe the tears from our eyes, removing all of sin and all the effects of sin. 
And this is why for us as Christians, we can be certain, assured, that while we are in seasons of sorrow, joy will come. Better days are ahead of us. We're not certain because of our intellect or our wit or our money. We're certain because Christ is alive and reigning over all things. So better days are ahead. We can be assured of that. So this morning, I want to challenge and and ask of you to stop looking to yourself in your mourning or disappointments or in trouble. Stop relying on what you can do to get yourself out of the emotions or or the troubles that you are finding yourselves in. But as the refrain of this psalm tells us, the chorus of this psalm tells us, rather than looking to yourself, speak to yourself and remind yourself of who it is that you worship. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Friends, let us not lose sight of our living, risen, reigning Lord. For trusting in him will have everlasting effects in our lives to his glory. Jesus is alive and reigning and he works all things to the glory of God and for the love of his people. So in times when the world disappoints or even when it taunts, remember his love and dear Christian, sing. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, We are so delighted that you have given us the gift to sing songs to you. That songs that we can sing can be lamenting and crying for help, for mercy, and for your presence. But as we have seen with multiple psalms in the scriptures, they often end in praise. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us here today that whatever songs that we are singing, that we may be singing to you, knowing, trusting, because Jesus is alive and reigning forever, that our songs of sorrow will eventually become a song of praise to your holy name. Fill us with joy, even in the midst of grieving, O God. Give us eyes to behold our King and to rejoice in you, even though our circumstances may not change, knowing that you are with us with your great love and the gift of songs in our minds and our hearts to sing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all stand together and close our time with a song of praise.